Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Sunderland drew 1-1 with Luton Town yesterday in a massive promotion battle. And to dissect the game, I've got lifelong Sunderland fan George Forster. How are you doing, George? Fine, thank you. We also have BBC Newcastle's Nick Barnes. How's things? Oh, good, thank you. And Alex, who's got no title. Yeah, Alex in the corner with yeah. no accolades, but he's here anyway. Yeah, I'm fine and dandy. I like how you've got a jumper that says philosophy. Yeah, yeah, it's from it's from my undergrad. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. expect some philosophical answers to Yeah, well, looking beyond the football, you've not got any yet, so I wouldn't <laughs> keep your hopes up. Right, we'll jump straight into the game. So Sunderland lined up: John McLaughlin nets, Lugo nine right back, Jack Baldwin and Tom Flanagan centre backs, Rhys James left back, midfield Mickey Ock and Power with a front four of Maguire, McGeady, Gooch and Wyke. Most notable was no Josh Madger, which I'm sure will we'll talk about uh, once we get going properly but Sunderland took the lead through Maguire early in the first half it's a good finish good work from Gooch in the build up then second half Luton got a penalty when Flanagan was deemed to have fouled uh, Danny Hilton um, which we have studied now here in the studio and still can't understand why that was a foul but again more on the referee later uh, later in the game Hilton was sent off for Elbow and Baldwin uh, Collins scored the penalty as well McGeady then hit the bar and Wyke headed a rebound over, which if he just had a bit more composure, he probably would have put that one away. And then Maguire was sent off an injury time for Avro, an alleged stamp, but I don't know if that was actually the case. So there's lots to digest, but I think the first place, the logical place to start is the penalty. Nick, I'll throw this one to you. Was it a penalty to Luton? I'm still bemused by the decision. I watched it again. I still can't see an instant in the penalty area. We've watched the build-up to the decision and the foul, and it looks like a foul on Maguire by McCormack, who was, I think, niggling away all afternoon at, at Maguire. Um, I, I, I'm at a loss. I was at a loss during the game, and I'm still at a loss now to see how that was a penalty. Anyone disagree? 
No, I couldn't disagree at all. Well, I did. My side should be better, or could be better, but I was staggered to think that we got a penalty. It, it seemed it seemed a, a poor decision from the referee. Yeah. And but as to the other one, there was just such a group of people, and I didn't know what the heck was going on. Yeah. You know, but I think you know all the time when I keep going to matches, all these matches, and when they always seem to need that second goal as a mm. cushion. You know, all right, they get a goal, but that's great. You've still got your three points, you know. But um, the, the midfield yesterday, it's fair to say, were quite wasteful. Yes. Uh, Max yeah. and Dylan seemed to struggle on the ball. But we didn't really have that authority. I was, I was so disappointed because, uh, again, why is it we, we seem to be so small? You know, I've always lamented all the time for years and years uh, since losing Big Sam and things. I'd got a bigger lads in, but too too small. We get bullied here, there, everywhere. Or, or we get what I always say: we shouldn't mix it. When we try and mix it, my, you know, we don't rarely come out with a ball. Pity the player couldn't get rid of the ball that little bit earlier and find people. And I, I find our passing a bit disappointing. You know, you've got an opportunity. Also, a, a person in space, he doesn't get it soon enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's all I've got to say, really. But um, I think Max and Dylan were very good in the tackle. But then when they had the ball, I think that's when the issue started to arise. I think as is... I think, in my opinion, often been the case this season, we've been a lot better off the ball than we have been on it. You know, the final ball has been found wanting for, I'd say, the past five or six games. I think, you know, I think in, in midfield, as as we've lamented, we're not, you know, we're, we're, there are players in the team who I think they've got a decision to make when they're so far up the field and between an option A and an option B, you know, they seem to choose the one which is going to sort of reap the least rewards. I think Gooch, in my opinion, is the biggest culprit. I think you've got a few others in there who, who you know, aren't squeaky clean. I think that's that's the that's the biggest sort of fundamental issue going in the team at the moment. Depending on whether you're a glass full or a glass, <coughs> sorry, a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. You know, on one hand, you can say, yeah, okay, but you know, we've we've gone 35 games, you know, scoring in each one at least. But then on the flip side of that, okay, but we've scored literally one goal in the past five games. You know, and as George says, there's so many games when we're just crying out for that second goal and no one can be the man of the hour to go and get it. I think, and I think with Madger, obviously, you know, with that uh, rather sort of ominous sudden illness, you know, you, you wonder, are you going to get the man that's going to get the second goal? I think for me, that's eight games where Sunderland haven't played well, so that's... Mm-hmm. 1-0 against Walsall in the FA Cup. I think that's where it started. Beef Bristol was 2-1. <coughs> wasn't a great performance. We lost against Portsmouth. We did all right, 10 men. Well, that was really the deciding factor. Oh, beat Bradford 1-0, shouldn't have beat them. Drew 1-1 with Shrewsbury, poor. Beat Blackpool 1-0, tight game, could have went either way. Drew with Charlton, good first half, poor second. Drew yesterday mm-hmm. with Luton. So for me, it's worrying now. That's that's a long period of time to go and, and not play mm-hmm. well and well, look, actually, lost more. You know, I was watching yesterday thinking, right, they've gone 1-0 up. They have got this problem of scoring the second goal and giving themselves a cushion or at least a bigger chance of going on to win the game. But I thought, well, if you can get through 1-0, 
And even if you get to the end of the season, you've won eight games, one nil to get you up. I, I'd take that. But they didn't, you know, the, the penalty, the, the equaliser, mm-hmm. you know, the two points dropped again when they're in a winning position. I'm loath to say that um, they're in a, you know, bad position, so to speak, because they're third in the table. We're still in poor position. Exactly, with a, go- with a game in hand. And to have only lost two games all season is a remarkable record. And to have scored in every game is a remarkable record. But at the same time, there's part of you thinking they could do better. They could be, they could be pushing on. They should be actually in the second half of the season uh, be becoming a team that's looking a little bit more dominant in games, looking like they, they're going to beat yeah. the teams that they should be beating. I mean, no disrespect to your Shrewsbury, your Bristol Rovers, etc., but they should be beating these teams and they should be beating them fairly comfortably mm-hmm. because of the personnel they've got. I mean, you've got McGeady... You've got White coming back. You've got McGeoch if he comes, if he can get him back to how he was in pre-season. You know that the abilities in there, his decision making is is questionable at times. And at the moment, Matt Sharpness for the likes of Watmore and White is um, mm-hmm. is probably a little bit of an issue. But it, it's it's difficult because while they're still in there and still in with a shout and look and still looking like, you know, they they are a difficult team to beat if they're not necessarily a team that are winning games, you feel that they, they, they're obviously going to have a chance. Yeah, you look at the team and, well, you look at the team, you look at the manager, you look at everything that's going on in the club as it stands and you do just think that, you know, there, there is a little bit more that, that we can get from these. Again, I, uh, the issue of Magic yesterday, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, you, you can see where they, they really missed Magic yesterday because there was a period in the second half when they were doing just what they should have been doing is that bombarding Luton's defence put just throw balls in the box all the time mm. because if you do that the defenders will make a mistake and it's that sort of area where Madger would have been fantastic because he'll he'll thrive on anything that drops to him in the penalty area and there was a period of 10 minutes where they were throwing everything into the penalty area and you just and you were just hoping they could keep that momentum going and get the second goal but that it, it, it ebbed away again and Luton managed to sort of weather that patch what do we think about Josh Madger do we believe the the illness well I have to say, at the beginning of the afternoon, when as soon as sorry wasn't in the squad and wasn't on the bench, ah, oh, right, alarm bells are ringing. Mm-hmm. Then we get the message that he was ill. I then spoke to someone who said, yes, he was at training on Thursday. He was definitely there on Friday. I spoke to Jack Ross after the game and said, is there anything sinister in the fact that he wasn't there? Uh, Jack's not one to make things up and was adamant. He was ill on Friday night and called the doctor. He was still not so well on Saturday morning, but they thought he might be okay, but he he, he transpired. He, he wasn't. He was adamant. He was. He was there. And then George tells me, "You saw Josh at the game yesterday." Pass me as. Yeah. So I think you have to accept that Jack was telling the truth. That he was there and he was ill, um, and that was the reason he missed the game. And reports that he's potentially going to Germany. I, I think there's. I, I think there's perhaps the links being made with the agent who's already got three or four players including Sancho, in Germany. I think there's a feeling as well that if Josh was to go anywhere with this agent, it may be abroad and Germany would be the obvious um, suggestion because of those because of those links. Um, it's a difficult one. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I know sort of Jack's sort of almost sort of, it washes over him now because it's rumbling on and it's rumbling on. And he's always said that while Josh is here, his attitude seems to be good. Uh, he wants to play. He's got no issues about him being affected by everything that's going on. And that would seem to be the case because, in fact, 
you know, the last couple of weeks, Josh has probably played some of his best football this season because he's got White to play off. And, you know, I, it, I, if I was Stuart Donnelly, yeah, I'd be pulling my hair out wondering, you know, what's going to happen. But if, you know, if I was Jack Ross, you'd just be hoping that, oh, let's hope he's here next weekend because if he's here, I've got him to use and he's, he's invaluable. Well, I'm not. I'm not very good in picking the players out now. Mm-hmm. I suppose my eyes really. And I've, I've, fortunately, I've usually got somebody beside me. That's so and so. All right. If I can see the numbers, I'm, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, the fellow who's number eight, who happens to be, uh, he seems he catches my eye every game, and he seems to work his socks off. Mm. And he seems to have a good engine on him, you know. But but what what does upset me a bit? Say, look, you know, hit it, hit the ball now. There's the, so, there's too many passes, in my opinion, in the modern game. And these little tight little little groups when they get into, so I mean, you've got you've got the whole width of the field. Uh, the thing I was just saying to uh, about when the players when they they're goalie, they all go to one side. Why not just get a winger to come out here and scatter up that side, hoping that the midfielder or the players will keep up. I mean, the other clubs seem to have it more tailor-made than us. You know, they seem to be come forward, four together. And I'm impressed with that because you, you only hope that, if we're, that they don't score when we're against us. But uh, there seem to be, you know, very close things that happen. So, I, do, I do agree about these goal kicks and it's only happened in the last couple of well, seasons that the players I, all know, drift like sheep yeah, on the right together. wing. Yeah, all the I mean, what, what training manual have, all, have you all been reading that they yeah. do this? Because it does right. seem, as George says, you have a sway, you've got half the pitch is mm. wide open. You think someone mm. surely is going to grasp the metal here and just if the keeper puts the ball out and you've got your quickest players, make a break. Pickford did it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I recall Pickford hitting the pass to the other wing where everyone was at that side. Uh, it, it, I like it that. Actually. I like that very much. Yeah. I do. And you do things like that because you pull their defence to pieces as well. No, I, I get disappointed with, you know, I, I think there's too far too many passes. Little tippy taps. Oh, you've got to, you know, I like the long pass. Mind, I, I also criticise the goalkeeper. Why, why is higher in the sky? I always say, oh, there's the fellow. I'll say to my friend here, look, where's the who's going to head it? The person in the blue shirt or something like that. Mm-hmm. It. And it comes back again quickly. You know, I wish to sort of, you know, if a goalkeeper should be capable of sort of keeping at a lower trajectory, and we probably get a chance. But mm-hmm. he always, there's always a big guy behind our players and uh, comes back to the... Like the yeah, physicality. As you say, they've been quite a small team for a while. I mean, I know last season, for like, for the sake of this this article that I was meant to write but never did, <laughs> we um uh, I was looking at like the the average height of the Sunderland team, and at one point I'm sure it was around like five eight, five nine, you know, and that that's that's below the average the average height of men in the UK. You've got to be like Barcelona good to get away with that. You do well, well, it's, in it's the championship, absolutely. It's, it's true. I mean, looked at yesterday's team. O'Neill's not the tallest in the world. McGee Great or, header, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, look, O'Neill and what he's got in energy and and just the sheer enthusiasm is mm. just... He's my favourite player. It's fantastic. I mean, I just... You know, for someone who'd never played right back before, you, you, you'd never know it. The ground he covers the, and the energy levels he's got, the fitness levels he's got. I mean, from minute one to 95, 96, he's still at... He's right on it. And 
but he's not the biggest. But um, you know, Catamol to come back in, so it, they aren't they aren't a big side. I mean, it's it's it's, it's true, and they do lack lack that that what? physicality, which does lead to teams, mm-hmm. I think, bossing midfield sometimes. When you get you know you get a McCormack mm-hmm. yesterday who's willing to put his elbow in here and and sort of rough it up a bit, and they and that's why I think you know, okay, Maguire's sometimes off his game, but he has got that he has got that extra bit of physicality that, that, that's perhaps lacking. Mm-hmm. Although it's, you know, want sometimes to go a little bit over the top. Yeah, I think in the tackle, as far as physicality goes, in the tackle we're all right. I think a lot of times we're beating teams in the ground war. But then when balls are over the top, you know, you you are essentially sending every long ball to pick out wake if you're in that part of the field and you, you're struggling otherwise. I, 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 you know, I don't know. I don't have any sort of stats I think for it, but I, the, I'm sure we must stats. lose the majority the key stat for me is I think we've conceded eight goals from open play. So that suggests that we are a very good team mm. you know, mm. when it's simply a case of the ball being, yeah. you know, a battle on the pitch. Yeah. It's the set pieces. Set pieces. We yeah. all know that this team is not good enough at set pieces, which no. is the physicality because mm. they can put defenders in the box. Mm. And the amount of times this season, particularly at home, balls have came in, free kicks, mm. and we've let a free header. It the seems in, to happen every yeah. game. The indirect free kick that Shrewsbury scored when they went one 0 up, like you know, it was a, it was a, it looked like a good header, but in reality, it was made very easy by just the lack of Martin. aerial presence and marking. Yeah, but obviously, I think they both go hand in hand. You know, you can stay with your man, but you know, if if, if he's head and shoulders above you, you may as well not be there. It makes you not wonder in those situations. if we've got Charlie White playing up front now. I think they're going to bring in another striker. Um, Let's just say that he is about six foot tall. Mm-hmm. If they went three at the back, played Baldwin, Flanagan, new guy Jimmy Dunn, Dunn who's about six foot four, mm. then suddenly they look very physical and we're going to be able to deal with that aerial battle. But at mm-hmm. the minute, the games that you're talking about there against Shrewsbury, we're probably playing with the two <laughs> centre-backs who are tall and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that, also, there's the issue that the set pieces at the other end, they're not scoring goals from them. No, because the corners are because terrible. You, know, you look at every team, Luton was an example yesterday, mm-hmm. the back four... They've got goals between them, but Baldwin and Flanagan, I think, I've got one, two between them this season. So you know, if when you get into that position, you want to be bullying defenders as well, which mm. they're not able to do. We've talked a little bit about Honeyman before, but how much are we missing him at the minute? Because well, I think like, it looks like they are missing him at the moment. I think um, just the energy he puts in around the penalty area. But he's one of the players that everyone's been criticising this this and last season. Now he's been gone, though. I think people are beginning to go, "Oh, actually, he's far better than we." thought he was gave him credit for but for, for, because he does buzz around I mean he's a nuisance I mean it's that issue it's the it's the Watmore issue isn't it I mean Watmore's decision making his final ball is there to be I suppose criticised but what he does do is draw defenders and allows the team to create space that's where Madger and Wyke and McGeady etc should thrive in those situations when you've got players with pace and that ability to draw players out and just you know make life a little bit easier around the penalty area, but it's also decision making. Then when you're gonna you've got to capitalise on that. Yeah, it, it's interesting seeing that um, as soon as Honeyman's gone, we're suddenly all starting to miss him. But as well, that sort of mantle of maybe just picking on a midfield player to allegedly be told he's not doing enough seems to have passed to McGeoch. Because I see a lot of people having a go at McGeoch now and saying, you know, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but what's he doing though? You know, like, well, he's he's there, but, but what's he doing? You know, he's a bit quiet, you know, he's not really in the game. And that was Honeyman before. Yeah. I mean, McGeoch's essentially taken on his role. And it's funny how whoever gets that role, 
is doing a lot of the legwork for the rest of the team, but because that you know, but because they're not putting the, the final cross in, they're not finishing, they're not making the save, they're not making the last ditch tackle, you know, they're in that, you know, that literal middle ground in midfield, they're not getting the recognition that other team members are getting. So once Honeyman's gone, it falls to McGeoch. If if McGeoch got injured in that role, then felt to Catamol. Yeah, he'd be criticising power. I think Catamol probably gets away with not getting that because he's renowned for his tackles, so you look out for his tackles. But yeah. you know, Honeyman and McGeoch don't have a trademark as of yet. So if it's players like those, then they, you know they do get caught out for that. And I think, as you say, if it was Max Power, absolutely, it would fall to him next. You know, it's right. it's the least notorious role. The most disappointing thing that I find is tackles from behind. You know, and getting yellow, unnecessary yellow cards. Look, as far as I was told that, uh, which I can't remember whose manager it was, um, I think it was Keane, when, when he was getting a lot of yellow cards, <clears throat> he was told, if, you, if the players got past you, you forget about that. Somebody else has got to pick them up. Not you, because you're going to get a yellow card. If you're going to go charging back and, and trip him up, you're going to get a yellow card. And for a while, I think he... He wasn't getting booked, and then he's he sort of to a few games was recently, you know, tackled from behind. Don't do it, don't do it. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. they don't. I'd realize that the <clears throat> professional foul, I suppose, is what you call it. The amount of times we have been done with them this season, and you yeah. do, I think Max Power's red card against uh, Oxford earlier this season was a prime mm-hmm. example of that. Yeah, yeah, they got past him, mm. he put in a stupid tackle, which, it was on the halfway line, yeah. yeah. So, you know, were well, they going to score? Probably not. That's right, that's right. It might be different if you're probably near stopping probably a, a goal or something like that, maybe. But then again, you're to the risk of a red, yellow card and red card. Mm-hmm. So, We've seen uh, that with Leuven's got sent uh, off at Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. Similar. Yeah. A challenge he didn't have to make. Mm. But, but that's well, often the bane of, you know, <clears> the managers say, don't make those challenges in positions where the team's not really a threat. You know, why 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 do you make challenges like that on the halfway line? Why do you make challenges that when you can shepherd a player out into the into the corner? You know, fair enough if you're making a challenge in the penalty area and, a, and you're six yards on the goalkeeper, that's another issue. But playing making those sort of challenges out in the open you know, in the middle, it, it is sort of wasteful. Uh one idea I want to float by everyone, I don't know how people feel about it, but would move in Luke 09 to behind Charlie Wyke or with Charlie Wyke makes sense. You had played a very similar position at Wickham with Akin Fenwa. If we're going to lose Madja, then why not play 9 just off? You've got his energy. You know he'll track back. If you're winning the game, you can be the, the extra midfielder. Adam Matthews goes in at right back and he's been brilliant there this season. Keeping 9 in the team, I think, is essential. So why not think about maybe putting him far further forward? We've seen he's finishing. That goal he scored at Charlton was brilliant. Shrewsbury as well, brilliant goal. I know that's an idea. It does. I know exactly where you're coming from, but I will throw it back again when you were talking about Wyke and another striker coming in. If you play two up front and you play three at the back, you have to lose someone then in the middle. Who do you lose? And And then to accommodate Anayan now in that role, because I think Anayan, you're absolutely right. Anayan loves getting forwards. You could see him playing as a right wing back in the system because he, he has got that drive and determination and he's got a good finish and he'll score goals. Um, but then where do you accommodate? You know, do you want to sit Matthews on the bench then? So can you find a system whereby you play the two up front, O'Neill in that midfield, Matthews is your right back. I, I, can it be, it's can you do it? Who do you lose? Yeah. Do, you, do, do you lose McGeady? Do you lose Maguire? Do you lose Gooch? 
who, who do you actually the lose options, in the isn't it? Because yes, it's great to have the options. Our options on the bench yesterday yeah. were poor. You know, well, four defenders, Kim Two youngsters, who's yeah. a kid. And obviously, Oviedo was the, the only real game changer. Although, I, the more I see of Kim Pioca, the more I sort of like his direct wildness. <laughs> yeah, he's raw. He's very, reminds me very yeah. much of McLean and Watmore when they But he's not scared. He's not scared to throw himself in there. He's not scared to make a challenge and have a go and I like that and that's exactly what you want you want a youth player who's prepared to come off the bench and think right I've got nothing to lose here worst case scenario I don't get past the 26 year old man best case scenario I beat him and all the bums are off the seats you know that's mm-hmm. what you want you want you know a young you, you want as many young lads to breathe life into the team off the bench every now and then mm-hmm. as possible you know it's just it's just great to see but another thing I want, I want to come back to as well I think what we've probably gone over for, for this sort of like this 20 minutes or so are probably the two only real weaknesses of the team but at the same time two very basic ones I mean you used the word poor earlier Connor to describe how we've been in some games and I think that's probably that's probably quite an equivocal sort of word you know we're, we're poor in relation to where we think we should be you know we aren't we are not a poor team absolutely not you know we, we haven't lost a home all season we've scored in every game you know those are not the accolades of a poor team but that being said you know where could we be if we knew not to, as George rightly points out, not to sort of like tackle from behind when you absolutely don't need to, when there's, you know, when you could just leave it for the next man to pick him up, you know, we've got plenty of good players who are good in the tackle. So there's that. There's worst you know, discipline in the league. Worst, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's very poor discipline and a lack of end product. And I think that's, I mean, you think how many points we've thrown to those two things, you know, how many, how many one ones could have been two ones or three ones if you had a, you know, another another outlet or a, or a just something in the mechanism to get you those you know extra goals. How many points would you have not dropped had it have not been for daft red cards? You know, could you have beaten Portsmouth? They didn't look that good when we played them. I thought we could have got a result they there at half time. They looked the problem more likely to win that game. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, but I think that's that's just how I see it. You know, you've got two issues to address there. So I think that the first one is is just a case of mentality. It's a case of you know like a very firm injection of common sense. You know, again, as George says, that Roy Keane mentality of look, if 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 you've lost your man, then you know don't take it to your ego. You know, let the next bloke get him. If you've lost him, you've lost him. If he's if he's megged you and he's and he's five yards past you, leave him. You know, let let the, let the next man get him. And obviously, the other remedy is either to keep Madger, or to get someone in who's going to do as good of a job. If you know, if you can dream, if not better, Will Grigg. Well, yeah. Will Grigg. Well, I think it's interesting because I think Jack Ross is answer to this would be that we've got to accept it's a League One team mm-hmm. and that the reason that Maguire's in it is because he's talented and he's potentially could have been a, a, high, a player at a much higher level but because of those weaknesses in his character and mm. the, the inconsistency yeah. that's why he's playing League One football and the young lads in the team are learning mm. and they're so prone to those mistakes and so mm. it's a it's a sort of um what he's tried to gel together is this disparate group of players who are un- either underachievers or they're young and learning mm. and will be achievers in the long run, but they're all thrown together and they are playing League One football. Yeah. You know, they're playing the third tier of football. It's, so mm-hmm. they are almost by the nature of that inherently going to make mistakes and be prone to those yeah. those errors. And we have to accept that. I think if you start throwing a Marty just because you've got just because you're not top of the league, then I think you've become very ungrateful very fast if you think where they've been the past two seasons. You know, you've got to just give it time. 
if you're if you're knocking about second and third for large parts of the season, I think you could be in a lot worse of a situation. And, and bear in mind that Portsmouth, Luton, <coughs> Barnsley, Charlton are all teams that have been together for at least two yeah. seasons. This yeah. is the, this is the first season that this Jack is a new Ross has had this yeah. team together. Whereas all those managers have had the, these teams for at least two. Mm-hmm. Final one, really, on yesterday. Actually, I still want to talk a little bit about the two, uh, the Maguire red card and the potential red card for Collins. But before we jump onto that, bench was weak yesterday. Spoke about that. How many players do we need? You know, I think I think that answer's changed for me now. I thought two. I thought we needed a centre back and a striker, and I think we've obviously brought in a centre back, but I still think we need two. And I think one of them needs to be a striker. I think the other one potentially is a a central midfielder. Mm. It's interesting that because of the Embleton situation that, that Embleton know. went back to Grimsby on the basis that there are too many midfielders in the squad and I know they're expecting, he wouldn't get a game. I think but Jack really likes uh, Ethan Robson as well. Yeah, and, and Robson's not training. far from coming back. So I think I think he's, again, I mean, I think Jack Ross showed at the beginning of the season he's, he's prepared sometimes to bite the bullet and wait like Charlie White and... Um, and I think this the situation with Robson. I think he's feeling that if I can just hold out for a couple of weeks and Robson's back in the frame, then you've got, you know, potentially, and I like Ethan Robson. I can see where, why he likes him mm-hmm. and what he can bring to the team. He's brilliant so, in a, is it a Czech trade game? Yeah. He was yeah. absolutely, I can't yeah. it was in think, County. Yes, and I think if you can get him back in, you just the, the only worry is you've got to get him back mm-hmm. up to speed quickly because yeah. he's been out a fair while now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... You know, myself and every other Sunderland fan in the world would agree that another striker is ideal. You know, it's ir- not ideal. It's, yeah, it's hundred percent yeah, necessary. Irrespective of where Magic goes, you know, mm-hmm. you think we just need those numbers. But uh, n- no, I think we don't need any more midfielders. If we need anything, we need another creative wild wide player. Do you think though, we could maybe do? I don't. Ryan Christie was linked at the start of the season. A player like him who can plug a few holes, but you know he has goals in his game. And at the minute, I look at our midfield, my central midfielders, and I don't see goals. You know, Max Powers dry. I think he scored mm-hmm. one goal for her. He constantly See, tries their long range shots. Yeah, and they just don't. They're not coming off. Yeah, I mean. and I just look at the central midfield. I'm like, they don't look like scoring a goal. You know. I think the comparison was watching Charlton and watching Lyle Taylor. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. He was absolutely excellent. His, his, his yeah. strength through the middle, and he's prepared to drop right back and almost act as a midfielder to get the ball mm-hmm. and then because he's got such strength mm-hmm. he can he can win it in midfield and has got the ability to take it on into the penalty area if you get I, someone like a big miss not getting him in in the mm-hmm. summer I can understand why they didn't but um, it's a shame because if yeah. you had a player like that in the team I think they would be in a, they probably would be in yeah. the top two and been, mm-hmm. would have consolidated that now absolutely I want to Oh, you got anything oh, else to add? Yeah, I was going to say, I think that we are probably quite overstaffed in midfield as things stand, you know, and I can get that he's he's kept Embledon at Gateshead. You know, we've Grimsby. got... Grimsby. Grimsby, sorry. Yeah. Not at Gatti's head, as my sat now says. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got, for me, a lot of midfielders, and, you know, they aren't perhaps the most prolific goal scorers, but they're all doing a job for me, at the very least. You know, they're all, they're all good tacklers, they're all decent passes of the ball, your bad decisions come from your front men and, you know, you, you, you get the odd goal from, you know, I mean, Max Powers shots aren't coming off, but Maguire's are, you know, so there's always that. But I think, you know, you, even if you were to get injuries to those, you've got players, youth players, you know, in abundance that are already here. As you say, Ethan Robson was great against Notts County. You know, we've seen enough from him to suggest it could be good. Certainly Jack Ross has. I think Luke Molyneux looked excellent when we played Wolves last season. You know, I mean, there weren't so much on the beach as the worst setting up a cocktail stand and seven margaritas 
But, you know, he was good nonetheless. And I just think you've got so many of these good players that I, I really wouldn't worry about midfield. I think I think you're very all right there. But a nice wide player, I think. Someone who's running at the man. And he's got two ways he can go. He can cut inside. He can send the ball across the park. And he just makes the call that's the right one. I think that's just what you're missing at the moment. I think the, the lads that we've got now just maybe aren't quite doing it. You know, there's, there's a goal a game. But as we've said... You know, if you get if you get, three if, goals again. If, if you get you know if you get someone who's a bit sort of like who's a you know who's as who's as sharp up here, I'm, I'm pointing to my temple for, for those <laughs> who can't see, which is everyone. But yeah, someone who's a sharper, you know, in the in the in the old noggin, as they are sort of like you know, like on the ground. But that's it, it, it. You said it. They're getting a goal a game, which is great, brilliant. But they're conceding a goal a game. Yeah. And that's that's why mm-hmm. you need someone there. Yeah. To, I mean, to, to and that's very get goals. That that's totally. I think to concede a goal every other game is fairly acceptable for a team pushing for promotion. But you know, one scoring one every game really isn't. You know, I don't think any teams. No team goes up just winning one nil. I think, and it's indicative of this league as well because yeah, there are one maybe one or two bad teams in the league. But on the whole, then none of them are really bad teams. No. They've all got the ability to cause teams mm-hmm. problems in the division. So you always know that wh- whoever you come up against, they might be 19th, mm-hmm. they might be 20th in League One, but they will cause you problems. And because of the nature of the league, they'll score goals. Yeah. So you do, you do need to be happy. You, have, you want that ability in your team to know you can go out there. If you do concede a goal, you can actually, you will yeah. come off the pitch having scored more goals. Every team at some point has given us a go. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the games that we've won, we've not won comfortably. I can think of Scunthorpe and Rochdale at home we Scunthorpe should have had a penalty early on. They did. That's true. Every team, every team, and this is this is even in the Premier League, Championship League, yeah. at every level, every team has something to offer because mm-hmm. that's why they play at that level. So, yeah, you know, I think I was just like fantasizing about what it must be like to be a team that wins every week. Like Man makes City. us think that yeah, we just go and beat teams like Burton nine nil every week. No, but that's not the reality of it. You know, yeah. they'll be even a team like them. They'll they'll be getting like pushed at home by Burnley and Huddersfield. They'll win ultimately because they're the better team. But you know it won't it won't feel as comfortable as just sitting there and watching your team and just dance around them for ninety minutes. And it's tactically challenging because teams are coming to, to the stadium alight with a tactic in mind to smother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and also sort of and it works. And then obviously when you go to away games, it's their cup final because the atmosphere mm-hmm. is like a cup tie, and it, yeah. that changes the dynamic as as well. So there's a unique set of challenges for Sunderland this season. Yeah, which wouldn't be the same set of challenges for whoever comes up from League Two next season. And is going for promotion next mm-hmm. season in League One because the dynamic is completely different. We need a bit of luck <laughs> as well. That Everyone magical needs a bit of word. Luck. Yeah. Mm. The red cards. So we we're talking about these before, but I thought I'd touch back on them there. Second red for Collins. For, well, for, I thought it was worse than the first one. Actually. I mean, that was a very blatant elbow. No, it was worse the referee than the first bottled one. it, and I, and I just think the referee bottled it. I just think he felt he'd sent one off. Mm-hmm. He couldn't send two. Maguire red card. We've I, watched that I, one. Watched it, and just... I still can't see that that's a red card. No. I think if they do appeal it, they've got a fair chance of. If you've got the Max Powell one back against Warsaw, I, he, he it, to, to, to my mind, he make this a strong challenge on McCormack, but they're both in for a strong challenge. All he's trying to do is get his foot on the ball under the body of McCormack, and if he made contact with the player, it wasn't a, it wasn't a malicious or intended stamp on him. And in fact, I'm not even sure if he does in 
make contact in that sense with, with McCormack. Like he misses him. I think he looks like he misses him. Um, so I'd, I'd be surprised. I mean, McCormack looked like the biggest sinner of the two to me. I, I think, well, I just say all yeah. of, but I think he was agitating all game. He was, mm-hmm. he's that sort of player. McCormack was, was one just of trying to, yeah, he was. And he, and he was, he wrapped himself around Bowl Winnips, him that, yeah, I, I just think, you know, in the light of the game, I think the referee taking his eye off the fact that McCormack was as much an instigator through the game of a lot of those instances mm-hmm. um, I just think it was a bad decision most inept refereeing performance of the season I think I tweeted yesterday well, been a lot fair? I, I, I think the worst of it is because because of his background it that makes it even worse I mean I can accept that the refereeing in League One has not been great this season but when you get a referee of that standard who comes in and proves to be even more inept the most inept that we've seen this season <laughs> That is going so. Uh, I think it's at, at best it's disappointing, and at worst it's infuriating. Mm. It's just it, it's just bad all around. Yeah, bad I've, time. There's only one referee I liked this season. That was the Blackpool away game. Thought he was good. Yeah, he, he did a good job. Yeah, he had like authority. Yeah, bit of Mike Dean about him. Right, we're gonna I'm trying to remember who it was now. Is it celebrity refs? That's, I can't that's, remember that's who, who it was. I'm I'm trying trying to think remember, it was, it was, it was good. Darren England or something. I'm trying to think who. No, I can't remember. Um, final one before we talk to George about your life support in Sunderland um, fortunately at Rogue Report we are sponsored by BetDAC now and yesterday I was in the box it was a sellout a corporate sellout uh, yeah. and have you ever been in the box? have I been in a box? no Connor I've not been in a box no but you have <laughs> keep talking I feel bad now <laughs> no it's nice going up there though yeah, yeah. I bet it is yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice, nice cosy while I'm was sat in my was cold, lovely and cosy sad plastic seat yeah, yeah, it's a leather seat as well. Oh, is this? Yeah, oh, lucky for some armrests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's good being in there. And yeah. Thanks to the Bet Deck guys for 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 letting me in and yeah. uh, give them a free drink. You ever read Animal Farm, Connor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's you. That's you. We, we were all in the same boat, and suddenly some Connors are more equal than others. That's how it goes. <laughs> I had to do that in uh, GCSE history or A level history. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Right, Class George, one. I'm going to treat this as an open forum for everyone. I've got some questions written down, but I want Alex and Nick to throw out their own questions. And Nick, you might have stories that you know need to be told more so than I know. So we'll start off, though, with a nice and easy one for you, George. You started the support as club in 1965. Yes. What made you, what made you do that? Well, what happened was, it was formed in 1965, the directors were very, very worried because there was another organisation, the Sunderland Football Supporters Club, and then the, the, the brewery did a uh, had a building, uh, the Clipper Ship, I think it was called, and uh, on the, and oh, they had a meeting, and the mayor of Sunderland came in the in the Salvation Army uh, building, which was the miners' place then, and there was a huge crowd. And there was three pals. I'd, I linked up with three pals because um, uh, John, John's dead now, and you know the lad. And we all just knock around together. We used to go and get going down to the 
the, uh, this was before we started the association and we used to travel the, um, the lad and he would run the buses there and then I, I helped him to run, if there was more than one bus, I'd help to run the bus. Um, but the thing <laughs> was, um, when I got to know that, uh, oh, the directors got worried about this organisation, got such strength, I mean, I got, I got a, a membership card for it. So the directors really were panicked. I know this for a fact. That, but so they got all businessmen, um, a, um, a solicitor, uh, Stanley Lambert was a solicitor, and he got in uh, two local Jack Allens, he got uh, Billy Begg, a butcher. They were all businessmen of some sort. And um, so they had this, uh, they were met in the main stand. I'm not sure if we had a micro uh, in the main stand. And put it over the, the club, we're going to build a home for the supporters, the Black Cat Club, which happened to be one of the best in the in the country. It was great, honestly. But but we couldn't use it because the World Cup was on in 66. Well, prior to that, they got stopped on, I don't know whether there were motorways, and then I'm thinking 65, can't just remember. But anyway, these two guys came, one was Stan Lambert and one was Fred Stewart, the director at at Sunderland Football Club, stop me. Would you like to come to a meeting down at uh, Roker Park? And uh, it's on this Tuesday night. So I went down there and um, I'd, they asked me various questions, you know, and, uh, would you like to come on board? I think they'd mind running the buses maybe because I've been running the buses for, um, for Billy Curran, that was his name. And yes, I went down, I had to go outside and they co-opted me onto the meeting. And then the, they were talking about what do, we, what do we get in? We're going to get a shop because no club shop then. And I think we started off where we got an official badge, a little black cat, not, not a puma like they've got now, a little pussy cat. I think I've got one in there. And... Um, and we signed off with a metal badge, a tie, uh, and programmes we used to get. Um, but then, the other pen, the pen, platinum pen. The thing about this platinum pen was they came in a gross, 144, and I took them to work, which employed 500 people on two ships. I had no, no, no problem selling them. And then I came back for another box, saw the secretary, a lad called, man called Harold Howie. And uh, at the next meeting, I think we held them every fortnight then. He said, my George is going to do a good job. He sold two boxes of pens. Right, this what's this problem on me. Right, we're going to appoint you a sales manager. I said, well, I said, I've not a clue how to manage. I've never managed anybody like that before and anything. Don't you worry. You won't, it'll be all, everything would buy in, it'll be done by the committee. Well, this is the bit. 66 comes along, there was a World Cup shot uh, in, in, in Sunderland, and they're selling up, you know, towards the end. And I spent all my holiday money, probably about 20 quid or something like that, on all things, pens where the, 
the footballer comes down, that you know, and things. And I've got some, I think, some uh, towels, tea towels made by Causeway in Ireland, Causeway Company or something. And I spent all my money. So when I went back, back uh, Harold Howie, he, he paid me the money, but I got a right rollicking. You do not sell things on your own. We made a fortune on the things. But then, <laughs> and I never, oh, I never mentioned the Russians, said that this is it. <laughs> San Lambert, George, he said, I want you to take, fill your bag full of stuff. He said, we had key forms made, all sorts of things. Badges, we had badges, because we've also got uh, World Cup badges and stuff like that. And... Uh, Right, when we were coming in, George Taylor was coming out. What are you doing out here, George? I said, oh, the Russians have asked to see us. So, <laughs> and when we went in there, they had these tables, which we had to assemble, like, and sort the scarves and things like that, and armored badges and things like that. And this Russian, the only money I took was two and sixpence for a key fob. The rest was barter. Well, and, and pence... A, a load of pens. These shouldn't be. We had some cheap ones, but these good pens, you know, the things like that, you know. That should have been red and white. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, it was just odd how, will you, can we give you some badges, Russian badges? They weren't all football, Yuri Gagarin and stuff like that. And one, a few football ones, and I had to work out, oh, how much is a ruble worth? Eight and fourpence, I found out. Eight and fourpence, fair enough, right? And there's nobody looking looking at them, so we were going up in this lift. We crammed in this lift, going up further up to this bloke's room. And John said, George, little John said to me, George, I'm frightened. What about if they kill us? I said, they won't bloody kill us, man. They wouldn't dare. But I said, because to be sent to Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so... This this one was called the Clown, the Clown. He, <laughs> yeah, big bottles of vodka. Why? Well, I said, John, you have any idea how much it was? He could ask John how much a bottle of vodka was worth. <laughs> he like me, I wouldn't know. But then, bottles of vodka, and then badges. This big Russian, because they're all different sportsmen, mind. They weren't all football. They'd all come over. I gathered only got eight pounds to last a fortnight, so that's why I didn't feel, see them very much of them. So this blo this big rush had come over. John says, Don't like the look of him, mind George. I said, I looks a bit tough, doesn't he, John? So the only the only Russian I knew was yet no. Oh no balance, no balance. So he grabs a, a load of my badges and he picks a load of pens up. I've gone to turn his hands over. Right, Aiden. Aiden, yeah. I said, no balance. So he went redder and redder, he went back, and I said, he brought some more badges. Okay, okay, okay. And well, I said, John, you know, these are bloody capitalists, man. They're getting Aiden Fortin's for them flaming pens, only cost the bob. <laughs> and, and, and I used that word capitalist, and then this, this clown says, capitalist, capitalist. <laughs> it was the funniest experience, honest to God. And John bought it. John um, got this Sputnik, you know, Sputnik on a, yeah. on a wooden stand. He said, I would like that, John. I said, well, fair enough, you want that. But we ended up by 
all these bad, oh, then there was a Siberian bloke, a Mongolian. He wanted to go up, up another in this room, and you know the the wrap this he said grease proof paper. You know there's a roll of ten or something like that, and he brought these badges out, and it was for uh, to send any of a Russian railway, Vladivostok, Moscow, Vladivostok railway, but it was a year ahead. It was sixty. It wasn't. It wasn't sixty. Six, it was what you read of that, I think. And and also he brought out, he had 200 rubles in notes. I, I didn't didn't want any notes. I, I, I didn't know. I'd, I just went for all these coins, ru, kopecks and rubles and all sorts. I said, well, didn't I? It might be, that might be fraud things, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, no. <laughs> All these badges and all these kopecks and rubles. So eventually when I went to the bank with them, I'd sort this said very currency all the world over is very similar on the small coin and whatever. So when I went to it wasn't Barclays then, I think national thing, the bloke says, I look any paper money like. I said, No, I said it's all 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 coinage. He said, We can I take it. So he said, Cooks, I think, was on the other corner. Went over there, same story. I said, I think your career's finished as a tournament seller. There's a sales manager, man, George. <laughs> You've got all this, all this bloody corpus and rubles and all these flaming badges. So anyway, my little pal, he used to take all these early photos, black and white photographs. He worked in the same factory as me. George, he said, I've got a good idea. He said... I'll get some card. I'll get some card printed work, uh, with a with a black cat on the front and that. And he said, "We'll mount them. We'll get the girls to sort them out from a from a kopeck to a ruble." Well, I, I, I still can't remember how we stuck them on, because I, I, I kind of just remember we did that. And do you know what? I'd not any want to show anybody. We sell them for a, for a quid, and all went. And the badges were got different coloured ribbons on. Some were half a crown, but some of these badges, like wrestlers' badges and all sorts, they go all right for weighing in, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? For scrap. <laughs> and we've got everything. We've got that. It took them to work. I did. They had a bomb, and that saved my bacon. But another story is we've got these teddy bears, two foot teddy bears. They were they were made by Tebro in Bradford. Funny how I can remember that, isn't it? Can't forget names. But um, and when I was living in Rogabass Road, he used to get the bus at the Blue Belt to work at Pallion. And John and I got these teddy bears and we took them out to work because they're getting on near Christmas or something, and, or, or some event anyway, or maybe the cup final. That's another story that might. But. Um, Put them on the back of the bus. That's when you get on the back of the bus and put them on the back seat. Said I said the conductor. I said, "Mind, I hope you're not going to charge for these, mate." <laughs> I got rid of all the teddy bears. I sold them for five quid. But then we were coming. We knew that the Italians. Oh, Fulham. Fulham had sent some. Uh, did we want to buy some corn crakes? And they had a double ratchet on them, the metal plate on them. You're big enough, put your steps off with them. So, right, they came in and they stung the concrete 
and they're sunk with grease as well. They're covered with grease when you open them because they'll be used in the war, you see, and uh, for areas. So, ah, brilliant idea, little John and I. Right, John, we'll take some of these home because uh, I'd been, I was living at Harrington and I got all the grease off them and then uh, hung them out outside to get the sting of creosote. I said, the Italians are coming. Bossa Italia, I thought. Oh, I wonder what the time will be. And I got some little umbroil, or painted them, undercoat white on the metal plate, and then put gloss on, and just a few at a time, you know, and then <laughs> got some umbroil oil. Forza Italian, Mazzola, and different, different names on. I said they were Italian to go, correct crackers for these? Didn't work like that. <laughs> Didn't work. All they wanted was World Cup, Willie. <laughs> and unfortunately, we got some transfers. Well, the club sent these down and they fitted on this metal plate. Got rid of them all. All these, all these things, but. All that time I spent hours after hours painting those down. For Italia, oh dear, oh dear. But then San Lambert said, George, I want you and John to fill your car up because we had these brown bags. But then we'd got someone to wooden huts in the ground and where we sold stuff. Cause, but then we'd got these uh, 50 pence scarves, like silky stuff. And I'm just trying to think, they were poorly attended, mind these games. They weren't all that. But we still had our huts. I remember getting the autograph of had it for years and so someone's already pinched me wallet. Uh, <laughs> but that was it. And then we had to get out of where we were, out the office and give it up to the club because they're using that as a ticket office as well. So there was used to be a church in Rokabas Road, we were in there. And Eddie Marshall, he was uh, one of the club secretaries. And uh, Another lad who happened to be, he was only a boy then, uh, Morgan Bramley. Yeah. He was Morgan Bramley. Yeah, yeah. He was a I smash and blow up mine. I used to tell us stories about Brian Clough, which I knew I wanted to do myself as well. <laughs> but uh, Cloughy. But, um, Is it true that you raised money for goalposts for the yeah, Oh, that's it. That was the thing. £750. And when we got the bill, because Stan Lambert asked the chairman, what is Alan Brown? Sorry, I have to say this. He wasn't my man. I didn't particularly like him as a manager. He was so rude, I thought. Um, I'll come to that a little bit. Yeah, so when we got the bill in, when I said £750, I said, there must be blooming gold plated, you know, <laughs> because there was for the Washington complex as well and for Roker Park. And then we, we got a, We had about twenty odd thousand members, you know, and the supporters. But to end the Black Cat Club, you had to you had to join that separately. And the, the secretary, my poor lad, he only had one eye. But uh, if you didn't like you, you didn't get in. If you you oh the Black Cat Club, San Lambert would send two coachloads of tickets down to um, the various clubs, telling them. No bother boots and no jeans. And it was a good club. Well run till later on when they weren't get When uh, all the bar sales went to the bar, but the entertainment, we had the Dixieland, we had some great, we got, you know, who we had a social group as well. They've got some good turns on mind, damn good turns. Because we had our own organist and drummer and just good. Obviously, 
I would spend hour after hour down at that office at night, had a key, typewriter, an old typewriter, and I used to send away, write away all these clubs because we had loads of programmes, exchange programmes. Uh, we thought, well, I think we had the 92 league clubs at one time, and the shop got bigger. We had a 40-foot ca- counter in the gym, and the, all the souvenirs were at one end and the programmes the other. And there was always a fight. Hey, you've gone past your space and that, but uh, had a wonderful staff. We had some, oh, then we brought out a magazine called The Roca Row. Have you seen it mm-hmm. from when we went, when we went up to six, I think, volume six? And uh, darn good book it was. But there was another time when we got more hoots around, the wooden hoots in the ground. Oh, send John Ambulance. Send John Ambulance. We got it kitted out, painted white, and filled it all with medical stuff. And then another time I was had four nights all the paint and all the red that came from um, TaylorMade, Durham, I think, these huts, huts. And spend a, my wife was very pleased at the time, painting them red and white, spend a fortnight on them. But we just will never be skinned. I made sure of that. But because... And then, of course, I used to go away to all, all, all the matches, bag full of stuff, all gay, and I used to go around all the Sunderland buses. Anybody want a scarf, a hat and that? And uh, just, I loved it. I just loved it going around. All the, plus the fact, when I used to go away to all these games, I was always in the number two bus, which left nearly at midnight, and a place we used to love to go to, mind. It was... The Cheshire Cheese. Well, we all piled in there, and we got to know these old couple because we were, if we were anywhere near Manchester, we always went there. Always the Geordie boys. It didn't never upset me, but we were no such thing as Mackhams then. It's like in the army. When I went in the army, anybody from Middlesbrough up to Berwick, you're a Geordie. Geordie. <laughs> never upset me. And uh, anyway, this, these, this little tubby little thing came in, uh, dressed in a suit, and this gorgeous girl came in, and, oh, and they, they looked a bit weird, but I didn't anybody. And when a, a lad, well, a lad, fatty gives, and we, I used to get on the stage there and uh, sing me songs, you know, and because I used to entertain them on the bus, mind, <laughs> on the army song, what have you. And, uh, and Brooks stopped me just the other day, and didn't recognise him. And he was the manager in some shop. He said, oh, no, in the post office this week, I had to post a letter. He said, George, I used to be on your bus with your, with your songs. I said, did you? I loved that going away. I mean, I got on the West Brom stage on there, and I used to, used to like to go to the Throstle Club and entertain them, sing, who's the greatest? Send half in all the words, you know, Charlie Early songs. Plus one or two bawdy ones. You remember and, all those, though, don't you? Because oh, you were singing those every week. I, I, uh, remember all the words. I remember the words. I did, too, anyway. How but, good of a footballer was Charlie Hurley? Because obviously a lot of oh, fans Well, he's yeah. honestly my hero. Funny enough, about a couple of years ago, this voice, is that you, George? Not Bobby Curse, not that nice a voice. He said, who's your hero, George? Oh, I said, Charlie. He said, who's your second hero? I said, Bolly. He said, it's Bolly speaking. I said, I can you great, that ball, Kevin Ball, that. Just, I, I, was, I like the caliber, he's tough, you know, a good leader. You know, we never seem to have that sort of 
happen anymore. You know, on the, on the, we don't seem to have somebody bawling out you because he would tell them what to do. Otherwise, you'd kick them up a height. <laughs> a bit like Catamore, I suppose, is the closest. Oh, it was great. But, um, no, I, I used to have a candy voice then, but it's starting to go now. But uh, I loved my songs, man. Um, Charlie Hurley, who's the, who's the greatest send-off in all the world today, Charlie Hurley. But, and oh, another time I went to Cardiff, got on the stage there and singing these songs, and uh, a lad called Tommy Lynn, his father used to have a radio in my shop. He always says, Geordie, you're a legend, you are. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the people just recently, over the last two years, uh, at Sunderland here, we've got this uh, lad called Stephen Keir who deals with programmes and used to have a season ticket here at Sunderland at one time, but the administration let him down badly and he fell out with them. But he he comes up to some program. So when he knew, he brought me this autograph of Jimmy McElroy on a you know the torn out of an autograph book. Jimmy but, McElroy was a hero. Wasn't Jimmy he? Jimmy McElroy was my hero. And he said, "Would you like to go there, George?" George, I said, "Yeah, I would like to go back to Burnley because I had been in the seventies when we played about three or four times. This was off with the weather and off different things, and uh, I like to say I was changed." And he picked me all the way from Weatherby and uh, went and dropped, dropped in his house to um, change into a suit. And he said, we're going to see... Newcastle? Uh, this yeah, season? Was, well, this season, it? was it? just an accident, really, because you just happened to pick that game. Is that the Monday we're playing night Newcastle, game? yeah. 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 It could be 2-1. But if I was supposed to be meeting... Gary Rowell. Gary Rowell. But he... He told me at Fabius, he said, oh, he's not, he's not going to be here, he's on his holidays. But it was great. We went, he went corporate and, the, <laughs> and bad Gary Rowell was there with his son who plays in a band. Didn't have nothing to look at his father, he had beard and all this sort of stuff. But it was nice meeting him. And also later on that night, oh, by the way, I had to stand up because in their programme against Newcastle, had me and the middle page because I'd got this award and there was a write-up about me and I bet the Newcastle people would be thinking, what the heck's he in there for? But uh, And then later on, Dennis Stewart came along and then we made our way home and I, I enjoyed it anyway because it's changed Burnley so much. So the, perf- the pitch was perfect. I was hoping at least they would get a draw, but... Uh, the Newcastle were pretty good that night. Yeah, Burnley were. But, I watched that game. Uh, Burnley were terrible. Uh, I couldn't just put it away. I wouldn't care. Uh, that chances, but they're in a, they're in a bad, bad position. They wanted to Burnley, but I, I did want to see them do better. But um, as, as, as for that award, I, I must go back on that about, about two or three years ago. And I think Rob Mason had an awful lot to do with it. Who did the programme? Because he wrote a tremendous article about me. And what I'd done for Sunderland supporters, and uh, and uh, had to go. The club played for the t- the train fare and the taxis, I think. But it was uh, in the Hilton, and when, at the bottom, I, I went with my son-in-law, and uh, as I went in, there's a great big poster with me there. <laughs> Honestly, my God, father, <laughs> huge poster. But on the night, oh, Bolly was Bolly, and it went on the stage with me. 
to to get this wonderful EFL trophy. It was a great honour. But I did want to have a word with Barry Fry, because Barry Fry had done a, a, a... He was at the Roker Hotel. And funny enough, I got talking to Barry, telling him when I was down at Peterborough. And I was disappointed because he went on the stage, but then he drifted to the to the far in the in the hill and that's it and he'd already, when I look came looking for me already gone. But since then we've got a branch at Peter but I've had it for donkey's years and somebody brought me a Barry Fry book and I've read it. What a character he was. He's absolutely fantastic. A colourful guy, oh, isn't he? Oh colourful guy. But that's Barry Fry, but uh I've got all these books, I don't know what the heck I'm gonna do with them all because some haven't a chance to read. What them all signed by different players, but... Do, do, do they get your name right when they announce? Because that's one thing, all the years I've known you, that various people and, and colleagues in the, in the media as well always refer to you as George Foster. And I always get really irked by it, yeah. because you're, you're Foster, Foster, aren't you? Foster, Foster, yes, yes. It's one of those names, you know. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get it right but like the, the reason time. why I signed things George W. Foster is because there was somebody who lives very near me, not as old as me, but... I once wanted an extra ticket for somebody for a game and uh, it had his on the, on the ticket on the little receipt thing, it was this other fella. <laughs> so I said, he was a George Foster as well. So uh, that's the reason I put a sign over W now. The worst thing you can do is put your name, get your name put on because <laughs> you cannot sell it. <laughs> um, moving on, where are we at? I've got a few quick fire questions. No, only, yeah, quick one, obviously. Quick, you mentioned Alan Brown. Why I didn't like him? was I came off night shift and hadn't been to bed. I had my breakfast because I used to have to do the blinking meal for my son and uh, John. And uh, Sam Close used to do these wonderful photographs because he, he started off like me with a box camera. <laughs> I took that to Africa. Uh, I was just really looking through the thing and I, I marvel at what I did when with this album. There's a throne of the gold coat. Oh, but there we are. Anyway... Um, I had to give, again, um, the player. When you get my age, names start to disappear. <laughs> That's a sad thing about it. But I had to give him these photos. God, I missed them at the training session, and it was in the afternoon, and bounding down the stairs with Alan Brown. He said, good morning. I said, good morning, Mr Brown. He said, not very bright today, are you? He said, it's afternoon time. I said, yeah, so to myself. And that's why I didn't like him very much. But uh, I don't. Uh, but Charlie thinks the world of him. He was, probably was. A, he was probably a good manager. But I mean, he set them like boys. Like you know, these were men. You know, and no, I didn't particularly like. You like Sam Allardyce though, didn't you? I like Sam. Big mm. Sam. Aye, aye. Well, we had a crack man. <laughs> Big Sam. He was great. At, Which uh, ground did you prefer? Do you prefer the current stadium or do you prefer Roker Park? Oh well. Oh, well, I suppose you've got to move with the times. I mean, crikey. I mean, when many times if you're down below the... Anybody spilled and they would come through the wooden boards, you know? Mm-hmm. No, and the, the toilets, well, no. We've just got to move with the times. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was a rebel, a rebel this time. I wanted to stay at Roker Park. There was somebody set up with a phone staying at Roker Park, you know, Plans were drawn, you know, and what they were going to do. And Bob Murray wanted this thing. And there was a model made who was going to be a Nissan. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, that's not good to me, going up to Nissan Lake. I said, I'm not going to get up there. Although I did have a car, I think, then. And uh, but I'm pleased it, it didn't. But the, there's a time when, when it did get built that, you know, well, what's the progress of it? I would have been down to Middlesbrough because they'd done their stadium. We're taken down there. And I thought, Bob, 40,000 seat a stadium to myself. You don't, well, when you get about 18,000, 20,000 at one time, you know. But uh, I was in a, had, a, had a discussion on the radio, through the radio down to the office, or because Henderson, Don Henderson was a Don. He was the MP for Newcastle, objected to Sunderland getting this for nothing, the stadium. But it, had, it took, took so many minutes to get that site cleared, you know. Um, so, and I weighed into him and all, and I said, well, look, they're going to put factories there. And I got somebody who worked in the town, in the, in the council, loads of empty factories at the time, so why more factories? And the ground wouldn't be fit for her, for housing, for gardens, with all the pollution. So uh, I'm just pleased Bob did what he did. But then Bob gave us a task, this would be in 19... I think 1990, I'm trying to think of the year. So moved in the stadium um, in moved, um, eh? moved in 1997. 1997, yeah. Well, we've got a task. The big painting of the, the uh, team of all the talents of Corner Kick, which you see in the entrance, mm-hmm. got a letter from Bob. There's no time limit, he said. I'd like to think that the supporters could pay for the, for, for being refurbished, you know? And as far as I know, it went to Birmingham, it went somewhere else and somewhere else. So I don't actually know now who did it. But I know I had to write a book. No, Billy wouldn't help me, Billy Simmons, who was our records officer. Brilliant he was at his job. And I wrote, I, I did this book all on my own, a booklet, and um, we sold them for a pound each. And that money went there. Wrote all the players, Audrey and I wrote, night after night we wrote to players, got money from them, and I've still got the receipt book. If somebody gives us five bob, they've got a receipt. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got under 7,000, I think it was, for it. And the last payment was from a lad um, in um, Kenya, Richard Woodall. He was a designer of golf clubs. At school, they all had to pick a team, and he picked Sunderland. He'd never been before mm-hmm. in his life. Never been. But So he wanted to know if I wanted to borrow any money. I said, no, no, we've got it. We've got it. But Because um, he said he can have it loan free to pay for this paint book. But he's been two or three times up. Well, when the painting was finally restored, I went in the museum. What upset me more than anything else about that was all the... You know, we were the people, we, we sort of got pushed back. But Bobby Gurney was there, the front players and that. And I thought, we well, you bigger you done now to it, for it. But, um, you know, I felt as if we didn't have to be seen anymore, you know, just... Uh, but then I got put on the wall, but I see that uh, the frame was a bit falling off the gold, gold, whatever it is. Um, so I think it could do was touching up, but uh, we've got the money. I'm proud of that. But since then, we're sponsored. We used to sponsor two players' kits, under about one thousand two, one five hundred with a bay. 
that's for everything, you know. But now, more recent times, it's only one. It's all on the phone now. It's getting ripped off by this company. Um, it's greedy. I can't stand greed. No. What's your best memory of Roger Park? What, what's the best game you saw at Roger Park? Oh, I've seen a few of mine. You've got to pick oh, one. The, the pick one? Yeah. The, the game against Manchester City. I thought that would be the one. Oh, what a game. Why, why why that game? Everyone always talks about oh, the atmosphere, isn't it? man, it was just great, man. Billy Hughes on song. Billy, Big Callum. I love Big Callum. He's been, came back to Sunderland, you know, been here, came, came to our office and spent all the morning there. <laughs> He's just, just big. He, well, when, you know, when they got to Wembley, Billy Hughes, I don't really remember it, on the road, well, they had this, Billy Hughes had this squeaky toys when they were getting interviewed, you know. He kept like, hee, hee. And, <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they couldn't stop themselves from laughing. But if you ask the players, they were so relaxed. I mean, they, I know they came in the south, and they? they didn't come in the south like Lee's did. And I think it was just one of them games. It was, it was just so for it. I mean, I mean, the game against Ars- Arsenal at Hillsborough. That was a hell of a game. That was a good game. Um, I got. I was lucky. I had a good boss when I went to David Brown's. I was a peripheral grinder, starting an office work here, a peripheral grinder. I was always having my head down and working like I did a Peterborough. I got merit money because I was such a good worker, being honest with you. What's your memories of the, the cup final, 73? Oh. Well, I could have blown the whistle after Porterfield scored. <laughs> 31 minutes, 31 seconds. So I'll gather. But Porterfield, just just the way it went. Just, but that Billy Hughes must remind me of the match again. Gender Stewart was very quiet, I thought. Didn't say enough of the ball, but that's the way it was. Because, But on this flank, they helped one another. Dick Malone, Bobby Kerr. Bobby was brilliant, man. Bobby, little Bobby. I like Bobby. Um, I like them all because uh, when it, oh that's another big honour I got which I never forget. I'm a, I'm an ordinary member of the senior citizens. They've got their own committee, and when I went over this time, it was um, Sam Anderson was there. He was Sandy's book, you know, and uh, he was there. But what was, what was Monty doing there? Well, we job to get guest speakers. Monty was there. Bobby Kerr. Uh, I said, what the heck are all these doing? Anyway, there was an October meeting. My birthday was on the 7th. And they said, the chairman said, we've got somebody here whose birthday is here. And I've got, I've got somebody who wants to do this presentation. And I said, what's my birthday? It wasn't, dead, it wasn't dead on the birthday days, but it was, it was. I had to go up and get this, on the, got a certificate off them, made me a, like an honorary, not a player, because I've never played football. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wearing glasses since I was seven, so... Um, no, I've just enjoyed my life. It's a bit strange now, too many games now, I kind of keep up with them. I can't understand. <laughs> I struggle to keep up. I can't remember the, the oh, games earlier this year. 46 think, league ones a season. I think, I, th- I thought once or twice, like, some of our players are getting a bit leggy as well. Mm. And yeah. I thought... Uh, too many games because football's different to me when I watch you know the, the old timers and I because it wasn't 
it seems as if it's all about pace. You need you need a flying winger or something like that mm. nowadays. But um, final final one to, to sign off. Who's your favourite Sunderland player ever? <laughs> I've got to say Charlie Hurley. Charlie but, Hurley. But uh, but uh, but uh, you uh, if you if you ask Monday who it was, Monday would tell you who who it would be. It'd be Dave Watson. I think the trouble with Charlie was he cutted out a lot of things out which Monty should be getting. You know, he would head them out because he's got that sort of head. But, uh, ah, it's great. I was getting a good Christmas card off him and his wife, Joan. Oh, I was there for the 40th. No, no, let's get, let's get this right. I got an invitation for the London branches 40th anniversary in the Black Cat Bar. And when I went, it's not really a thing of anybody doing any talk, it was sort of like that. It's long. But anyway, funny enough, there's a lady, she was the vice president, Denise Robertson. I got talking to her, telling her different stories and little funny amusing bits in it. And she said, George, you must write a book. Because she was, she was loose women and all this. And I wouldn't care, I've got a photograph on my little table, but let's find the time. Yeah. I mean, last week, the match was on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, we were at a meeting in the club. Thursday night was my mess night, the services night. And then Friday, no. But other things, anyway. A little song? Do you want a little song? We're signing off. Yeah, uh, go on. Have a, give, us a, give us a little turn. There once was a farmer who sat on a rick shouting and screaming and waving his fist at some sailors who sat on some rocks, teaching young children to play with their kite strings and marbles as in days of yore, when along came a lady who looked like a decent young lady but walked like a duck. Said she had found out a new way to educate her children to sew and to knit, while the boys in the farmyard were shoveling straw from the stables and mud from the byre, while the lord of the manor was pulling his horse from the stables to go to the hunt, while the wife in her boudoir was powdering her face and arranging her vanity box, taking precautions to ward off the gout and rheumatics which left her quite stiff, after just having a last dose of what did you think I was going to say? You nasty old rascal, then go on your way. <laughs> That's a good way to sign off. Uh, thanks, George, for coming on. Thanks, Nick, for, for sharing your afternoon with us. Yeah, it was good speaking to you and Alex. It's always a pleasure. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.